0: The Orange FM
1: Voltron fans, this is Mark Morrell, your host for Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast. And we've got a great show for you today. This is one of the best shows you're ever going to see. All right. We have as our guests today, we have Seth Green. Hi. And we have Claire Grant. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, guys. How you doing?
0: Good. How are you?
1: Really good. I just wanted to let you know I, I have been talking to your publicist for a long time about getting an interview with both of you
0: fun she's great yes she's very good at her job
1: (laughs) i love her i i really do i've i've gotten a chance to work with other people that she covers as well you guys know kevin shinnick
0: oh of course
1: and you guys know uh man of action studios of course those guys are awesome yes and and did you guys get a chance to see big hero six not yet Not yet. it's really good
2: We've been really bad at seeing movies. What did we, we just watched something. Well, we
0: watched The Hunger Games, obviously. Oh, yeah. I well, had to go like right one away. or two
2: things that we actually go out to
1: see.
0: Things that I'm so passionate about that if I don't see it as soon as it comes out, then I freak out. Like, <laughs> like Hunger Games.
1: Okay. Obviously, the, the question of the minute is, did you guys get to see the Star Wars teaser trailer?
0: About ten times.
1: <laughs> yeah. And what did you think? It looks good. I'm excited about it. And the specific lightsaber that was shown in it?
0: Hey, you You know, it's the future.
1: I mean, I remember when the
2: Phantom Menace trailer first Mm -hmm. came out and you saw Darth Maul for the first time and he lit his saber and then all of a sudden the back of it lit. I think, you know, this is just replicating that moment. Something exciting with lightsabers that we haven't seen before. I've gotten... I've gotten really tired of judging things before I witness them in their full, you know? Yeah. I'm just kind of over the snap decisions and these rabbit hole arguments that stretch on when people don't have any information. It's, it's people arguing with their own imagination and it's really starting to get frustrating. So I thought the trailer looked cool. I'm excited to see the movie. And I'm reserving all my judgment for that.
1: Right. Me too. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, withhold as much information as possible before the movie starts because I, I really like to see it fresh.
0: Well, I actually feel that way a lot. And I avoid most movie trailers and definitely any spoiler information because I want to be as fresh to it as possible.
2: Yeah. We both enjoy the surprise of new information in, in entertainment. Although it's hard because Claire's read all of the Game of Thrones books and I'm only watching the show. And so whenever something is about to happen that she's already aware of, she sort of has a sharp
1: inhale or. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Game of Thrones. I've been watching that one religiously. Yeah, we love it. We're here to talk about Voltron, obviously, but uh, we have lots of content to pull from. And we'd like to know about sort of like the freshest stuff first. So what are you guys up to now, you know, in your careers?
2: Um, we'll start back up on, uh, Robot Chicken, uh, towards the, the, I guess, man, it's already December. Yeah. In about two weeks, we'll start writing a third DC special. Um, and then that'll fall directly into writing the new season of the show and that production will run for about 20 months.
1: Okay. All right.
2: And then I've got other stuff that I'm working on, but I guess nothing really that's nothing to talk about.
0: Yeah. I've got, a. Indie movie that's called Phantom Halo that should be coming out really soon and then just worked on three. Was it two or three? I just worked on two or three independent movies as well. They were both really – two of them? Was it three? I don't know. I can't remember. Whatever. (laughs) I worked on some really fun movies. (laughs)
2: It's hard with independent things because it takes so long for them to be certain that they'll actually shoot, and then even once you've finished it, it's it's never entirely determined when it's going to come out.
0: And also, you spend less time working on physically as an actor working mm. on independent movies than you would a studio film. A studio you shot film, like maybe two days on each of those things. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, I shot one day on one and two days on another. Was there a third one or did I just who knows? I don't know. <laughs> but. Um, Y- yeah, it's you. You on on independent films, you have very little time and little money to like do things. So you have to get in there and do as much as possible. So actors get in and get out. Whereas on studio films, you have a lot of money to get it right, and so they come and yeah, actors spend, spend more time on.
2: Well, you can spend an entire week on two pages in a studio film. I'll, for, I'll never forget we we making. In, uh, and
0: then
1: independent films is like ten pages a day.
2: Yeah, ten to twelve pages a day. Like you shoot as much as you can because you just don't have any money.
1: Wow, uh, did you guys ever get into financing any independent projects yourself?
2: Um, not self financing to the degree that we'd write the bank note, but both of us have gotten money on behalf of projects uh, yeah. several times.
0: Yeah, I've gotten. Uh, um, I've was I've gotten the funding or found the people who could fund most of the Team Unicorn projects that we've done.
1: Was that hard to do to get that funding? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's extremely hard, isn't it? You no know, one wants to give you money. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, you yeah. got- You've got to really uh, make your case. You've got to you've got to offer the same assurance that you would to a bank about any collateral that you'd put up and and the viability of the thing that you're asking them to pay for. But you but typically you don't go to a financier with some bullshit that wouldn't make them money,
1: right? You know. So is the pitch the hardest thing to do, or is is it uh, actually actually getting them to pay up? Well, I I think it's about
2: aligning the right project with the right financier. Yeah, Most financiers get into the business because they want to pay for things. They want to be involved in entertainment, but they expect a particular experience, whether that's you know winning an award at uh, Sundance or winning an Oscar. Everybody gets into film for all different reasons, and it's, with, with feature financiers, it's about figuring out what their end goal is and then making sure you've got the right project to get them there.
1: Right, okay, would you guys ever get involved in in the in the financing of a Voltron movie? Maybe listen, man. <laughs> both of us are all about Voltron when we were doing Titan Maximum, all we
2: wanted to do was have a Voltron crossover anytime we talk about team unicorn cartoon it's it's always about a Voltron crossover. yeah, a Voltron feature is a difficult thing to do just because summarizing the universe into a tight ninety minutes is going to be hard, and anything that's going to do justice to the agreed lore of Voltron is is going to have to be made by someone who desperately loves it and also has enough authority within um, movie making to get it made at the price point it would need to look right. So it's right. it's a big puzzle. I know there's a couple different times that people have tried to work it out, but technology is finally in a place where I think the visuals, everybody agrees the visuals can be incredible.
0: The Albrecht short, <laughs> the uh, Voltron, the end is... So good and my favorite Voltron video type something or other and I think that that's it's he's kind of got the feel for it right We're, we're getting
2: there culturally yeah like culturally we're at a point where people would accept a summer tent pole Voltron movie and and the version of it could be closer to what uh, longtime fans would prefer versus just something that's highly commercialized and palatable to a, a modern audience. Like I think, right. I think there's a midpoint that's a great movie, and we're seeing it done with properties. You know, Marvel's having such a, a a great time right now translating their stuff, the way it felt in the comics, to to a cinematic experience that that's comparable.
1: Right. Uh, the um, Marvel's got the oh my gosh, the, basically the formula for everything else.
2: And are you watching the DC stuff on TV? Like we are loving the Flash and Arrow and uh, even got Gotham. The, yeah. Really these
1: versions of these characters yeah yeah so maybe dc's headed in the right direction now too right
0: well i think they've always done good by television in my opinion i think
2: audiences are just it's if you really look at the evolution of comics and and cartoons into the translating into mainstream if you look at the 60s is the time when people needed comic books to be cartoony to be palatable like batman like the batman tv show and then you look at Everything that happened between Batman and uh, Nolan's Batman, right? It was a long time before we culturally were ready to accept comic book characters in cinema as you know dramatic, as uh, realistic, as as full of emotional pathos. Mm-hmm. Tim, Tim Burton kind of toyed around with it in in eighty nine, but it was still, you know, it still had a Prince song on the soundtrack. <laughs> The the studios are always trying to build the most commercial package, the thing that will appeal to as many quadrants as possible at the same time. Um, And it really takes a filmmaker with an understanding of both the subject subject material and marketing, you know, the system, how audiences consume things and buy things. You know, it's going to take somebody like that every time to be able to translate it to mass.
1: All right, so – If we're we're talking about Voltron and and you talk about like the Voltron, Lion Voltron, and you talk about Voltron, the vehicle Voltron, they both had their own shows back in 84. All right. Do we need new shows of both of those to come together? You know, DreamWorks has the license right now. So maybe they could open it up with a couple of, of Voltron shows that we could later, you know, gain that that mainstream audience that we need and then, you know, translate it to a Voltron movie after that.
2: Well, there's a million different routes to it. The truth is, a, a movie could come out without any preamble. And if the movie looks awesome, everybody would go see it. It, it, it depends what demo you you want to hit. You know, a cartoon is typically going to be aimed six to 11, unless you're making an adult cartoon like G.I. Joe did with, um, what was it called? Renegades? I don't know. I don't know, know that
1: one.
2: They, yeah, they did a mini series that was uh, more adult. Kind of based on comics and not at all a kids thing, but it, you know it had a very limited hit. It's really niche. So well, there, there's, there's a million different ways to skin it. If you look at Transformers as a model, Transformers has had coexisting iterations simultaneously for almost ten years. Right, over ten years because the movies,
1: movies, it's over ten years now. Right. Yeah. Right, and they had Transformers Prime and, and Rescue Bots and all that kind of stuff going on at the yeah, same time. Yeah, but people
2: wanted to see that movie because they wanted to see that movie. Uh, well, the weekend before the first Transformers movie came out, it was tracking so high that I started asking random people if they were going to go see it. And people like from 10 to 50, and I mean women, men, all different nationalities, I was like, hey, are you going to go see that Transformers movie? Everybody said yes, and I said, Why? And they said giant fucking robots. <laughs> so, and I, like, I really—it was a sea change culturally for us to kind of come together that way. Like, we've turned so Japanese that we're gonna build a giant Gundam in the in the town square.
1: I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> Please, that'd be awesome. All Gundam the people of
2: Japan love that there is a mobile suit <laughs> in the, right in the middle of an important place. Like, we're
1: we're getting close to that. America's getting closer to that. And Pacific Rim, like you said, it came out without any you know prior stuff at all. I love yeah. that movie.
0: I,
2: I, you know, I don't know where people stand on that movie, but it both made money and, in my opinion, was fucking awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was so good, it was so fun.
2: oh uh, they re- it looked beautiful, and they re- all the robot stuff looked very real. It just looked it was I great. Liked
1: it. Right, and and we were we were talking about this in previous podcasts about how it had two human pilots, yeah, and how that's similar to Voltron in the respect that we had five pilots in five lions coming together to form one giant robot. Gotta work together. But these are giant robots that are already together, and the pilots just get in them.
2: Yeah, really? I mean that's that's one of the things that's so special about Voltron. It's one of the tenets of really great um, uh, anime, in my opinion. It's it's that the five into one. It's the the, it's the result of the team. It's all of us are are all of us are masters. All of us are experts. But when we come together, we're
1: unstoppable. Especially when we're all on the same page, working towards the same goal.
0: Yeah, you'd have to be to make that robot move.
1: Ah, uh, it's just
0: man, I love Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right. Well, you you had talked about Titan Maximum before, right? Yeah. All right. So how did? How did that show get started? How did it get it off the ground? And what was it like to make it? And how did it end? Um,
2: Titan was uh, Tom Root and Matt Senreich's love child. They had come up with that idea uh, back when they were working at Wizard together. And if you go deep into old Wizard, you'll find a picture of some toys that a fan made or that maybe they made. I can't remember. They were customed and they called it Titan Maximum. And it was you know, it was like Tom and Matt and then a girl and a monkey. <laughs> it's yeah. just a really silly thing. And after we made Robot, um, they got into a conversation with Mike Lazo about what other kind of programming we could put on Adult Swim. And we all wanted to make a giant robot show. And Tom and Matt had a great concept for this team and all the archetypes and what their personalities would be like. And, you know, sort of a self-aware look at what that universe would be. If you think about the fact that in the Voltron universe, the people that are piloting these giant robots, the, the galactic police force, if you will, they're fucking teenagers, not just teenagers, but celebrities. And this was right when that culture was still uh, really starting to rise. Like Paris Hilton was getting real popular. And we just thought mm-hmm. it'd be funny to see a bunch of teenage celebrities piloting a giant <laughs> robot and trying to save the galaxy.
1: Okay. And how did it end? Um,
2: You know, Adult Swim is a very specific culture of network. And I think there's certain things that they will and won't program. And that's that's really where we've come to on it. We keep talking about whether or not we'd make a special or whether or not we'd make some kind of long form movie. I think we all really like it and are just super busy doing other things. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say if we would ever do something new. I guess it depends on the demand.
1: But that whole season is available as a DVD, right? Oh yeah, you can watch the whole thing on DVD
2: and it's fairly complete. I mean, it's kind of a cliffhanger because we're assholes, but <laughs> <laughs> Uh <laughs> And, you know, that show's super expensive, too. It's like a really, really costly show and it's hard to prove profit on things. It's just very difficult.
1: It, it was sort of like uh, the same style as Team America World Police, right? Um, No, no?
2: Team America was marionettes. So that's a uh, live action photography of people um, in real time animating with uh, wires and strings and things. And Titan was all stop motion. But
1: it did have sort of like a Thunderbirds feel to it, didn't it?
2: Oh, the physical aesthetic of it. Yeah, we well, we designed it to look like all of our fa- all of the space shows that we thought were funny or cheesy or definitive of of uh, that era.
1: All right. Did Did you grow up on Johnny Sacco and his flying robot? No, no, you didn't. You didn't like <laughs> that. One. I mean,
2: I'm aware of that because I've done a lot of like, I've gone, man, I've gone to a ton of cons. like, Claire, you've been to a ton of cons. We both we both absorbed so much. Pop, even through osmosis, that I've seen that uh, I know what that icon is.
1: All right. Well, you you actually grew up in my area um, around Philadelphia. Oh yeah, where'd you grow up? Um, I I went to Penridge, Penridge School District, and um, in like southeastern Pennsylvania. Sure. And did you go to William Tennant? No, no, no. I'm in uh, Overbrook Park. Overbrook so Park to Lamberton. Okay. All right. And that was up until what age?
2: I left Philadelphia when I was. 15?
1: 15. Okay. When did you actually get your first gig as a, as a, as an actor? Was that in while you were still living in the Philadelphia area there? Oh, yeah. I started acting professionally when I was seven. Okay. All right. So then when when did Buffy come along? Um, In the end of 97. End of 97. Okay. And you were on that show for how many years?
2: Um, it was about four years, which resulted in like...
1: Two and a half seasons, I guess. Okay. I guess you weren't associated with that show right up until it ended, right? You left before it ended?
2: Oh, yeah. They had like five seasons after
1: I was off it. Right. Did your career sort of like take off after that? Or when did it really take off?
2: Well, 1998 seemed to be the year that people started knowing my name as opposed to just thinking they recognized me from school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it was a bunch of things that happened at the same time. Uh, Austin Powers came out on DVD and did really well. Can't Hardly Wait came out, and I got cast as a uh, regular on Buffy. So all of those things at the same time hit a couple different age groups and demographics, and it seemed like people knew my name.
1: Okay. Now that you've got sort of like uh, you're in a position to do some, some creative things that you want to do, if you had the chance to just, you know, you had unlimited budget or anything what kind of project would you work on
2: well I've actually spent the last couple years making this studio with uh, my partners as a means to make the kind of projects that we want to make it's it's really that simple you know you sort of set your goals in a realistic place where you only need to make so much money and then you get focused on the things that you want to see exist that's really what we're doing
1: and this is with Stupid Buddy Studios, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything that you can talk about that you got upcoming then?
2: Yeah. Um, Zeb Wells, who uh, was a writer uh, on Robot Chicken and directed the last two seasons, he created a show called Super Mansion that we're making for Crackle. We got 13 half hours of it. It stars uh, Brian Cranston and uh, uh, Keegan-Michael Key and... Uh, it's really, really fucking fun. It's, it's sort of, um, um, you know how the Avengers all live in the Avengers mansion. Right. So it's, it's that basically.
1: (laughs) Okay. It's a bunch of superheroes who have to work and live together. Okay. I had actually gotten a chance to interview Zeb, uh, last year. Uh, I also, you know, do writing for ToonBarn.com. And you know, got a chance to actually uh, he he mentioned that show and mentioned Brian Cranston and everything. Yeah. Uh did that officially get picked up to, to be a series? Yeah, we're doing we're doing thirteen half hours for crackle. For, uh, oh it's it's that's the uh online app, right? Or is um, it, what how Yeah, is they
2: have the the Seinfeld show. Um what's it called? Comedians in Cars? Comedian coffee comedians getting coffee. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the thing is, distribution isn't the issue anymore because there's so many means of distribution and anybody under 20 doesn't give a shit where they're getting their content. They just want their content. Right. And so we're in the content business. We're we're really unconcerned with how people watch it because people can watch it in any way they want from a multiplex to their watch. So we're really focused on just making awesome things that we want to see exist. Um and the the how we get them into the hands of the audience has become of less concern.
1: Okay, isn't the marketing of prime importance then? Once once you've got it somewhere, it is. Well,
2: it isn't. It isn't. Yes, everything needs a ton of marketing to really push through. I doubt that Hunger Games would be the number one movie if it didn't have twenty five million dollars in P and As internationally with pickups across every market. But something that a kid in Omaha. <laughs> has just as much chance of getting... You know, the girls released that uh, all about that bass video. Yes. And in less than 24 hours, it had 2 million hits. So, you know, that's the people passing something around. That's the, the the global telephone game that we've got available to us now. And yeah. DreamWorks can spend $50 million to promote something, and then Fred can get the same <laughs> amount of views... In the same amount of time without spending a dollar, so yeah. it just isn't the issue anymore. It's the quality of the content that pokes through,
1: right? Right, exactly. So you guys did all about that base, and and the timing is very important as well on those because there was a current hit, you know, that that, that went along with.
0: Yeah, yeah. We were. I had actually never heard the song before when Nerdist approached us with recording the song and the music video. And we weren't. We were actually working on a different parody song ourselves because we were so excited to do something with Alison Hayeslip because of her amazing voice.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and
0: um, and when Nerdist told us about this this video and this song idea that had just been dropped into their lap, we we read it and and we we loved it. We just thought it was awesome and such a fun oh, thing God. and. Then I really learned the song. I think I listened to it nonstop for the next month until we actually got a chance to record it.
1: You sounded great, by the way. Thanks. How, how long did that shoot go for?
0: It was just one day. Wow. Very long day. All of our shoots are just one very long day.
1: <laughs> Starts at what time?
0: We usually we get the girls in for makeup about... 7 or 8 a.m. And then we call everybody else in an hour after that. And, and then it's, it's usually about 14 hours, hours after that. So 15 hours for us, but 14 hours for everybody else.
1: And that's just for those online videos that you guys do as team unicorn. Correct. They work really hard. Or
0: for the star Wars videos that I do called saber. Okay.
1: Okay. But for
0: those, we actually spend about a month leading up to that working with uh, fight stunt choreographers and stunt choreographers mm-hmm. and working on our sword techniques and our, you know, fighting techniques.
1: Okay. All right. But you've also got uh, Saturday Action Fun Hour coming out, right?
0: <laughs> yes, we are. We are working on that. It's it's a 2D animation show. It's – we delivered it. It took us like three years total to get through all of the – Well, nobody
2: talks about the legal thing. We spent about a year and a half working through some uh, stuff with Turner. And it's 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 one of the most frustrating things that you deal with um, in content creation is – lawyers. <laughs> okay. It's basic deal-making. Um, it's a lot of bureaucracy, and especially when you have a company as large as Turner, there's um, a couple of different departments that things have to pass through. And so each department gets their own opportunity to slow down the process. Um, and it took us a year and a half to just get to the point where we were ready to write the script. It was very frustrating.
0: And then we had to go we had to go through the process of finding a 2D animation house that we liked. Well, there was
2: also a developmental process. Like, we really changed this. We rewrote it. Yeah. We we completely rewrote it a couple times. Yeah,
0: I went through several different versions before it finally came to the version that it is now, and a year and a half after we started, we've gotten to this place where (laughs) we want to change it just a little bit more, so... (laughs) We just keep working on it and trying to get it exactly the way that we want it.
2: Oh, at this point, we're just addressing some notes. Like we got to do some testing and it was really, really informative. And so, you know, it's a, it's an evolving process, but we were super excited about it.
1: When you say testing, do you mean like with focus groups? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what's the reaction?
2: Well, it's mixed. It's interesting the way that people interpret information. And what I didn't realize about the tests until this time is that they don't give you any context. So people who are watching the show are not told whether they're watching a show for the Disney channel or for for Cinemax. And so, you know, just the way that you contextually frame a viewing experience will, will, uh, you know, assist people in interpreting your information correctly. So, Part of it's that. Part of it's like, oh, OK, I want to tell it this way so that there's no misinterpretation at this point. It, you know, that kind of subtle parody doesn't work without context. And so it just pushes us to tell a clearer story. I know that I know I'm being vague. It's just That's OK. It's, you're, you're not even meant to discuss any of this. Like <clears throat> I'm not even supposed to be in any of those tests. So, OK, um, everybody gave everybody uh, gave a lot of it, but it's super informative and we want to make the show great. That's our whole goal.
1: And is also another goal on the show to have Voltron as the boyfriend. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You have no idea yes, how much
0: Voltron
1: plans there are.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, that's all I want in life.
2: It was so funny because the first conversation way back when we were talking Titan crossover, um, the one concern the Voltron people had was that they wanted Voltron to look cool. They were like, you can't do something that makes Voltron look stupid. And we were like, are you
0: We would never. Kidding? Do like, how
1: would you even are we, we <laughs> voltron's gonna look fucking awesome he's gonna be the coolest so <laughs> so so they really had no idea just how much you honored voltron's legacy yeah yeah voltron's for real well the, <laughs> the whole world knows now because you guys are in the book we are i'm yeah. so
0: happy about that it's,
1: it's it's important actually for both of us it's exciting for both of
2: us to be a part of that uh carrying on this mythology generationally like passing it down
1: well to a lot of voltron fans you guys are like the keith and Alora, the king and queen of aris <laughs> oh that's amazing you know there's a there's a lot of people out there that that love voltron and of course they know of any celebrities that are supporting voltron as well
2: that's funny i've always been more of a lance man <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, do you guys know uh, other celebrities? I know there's like Will Wheaton and people like that that, that love Voltron. Is there any uh, celebrities you want to out, you know, with their Voltron fandom? Maybe they they're not telling just, anybody. I don't
2: think anybody's hiding their Voltron <laughs> enthusiasm. I think Voltron's a real particular one and people that are into it, uh, like, are, are really into it. Nobody's Nobody's ashamed of that. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, some of us are are so not ashamed that uh we we start up podcasts. Or-
0: <laughs>
2: yep. Haven't you said like before that I got that Valentines? I have, yeah. It was the best.
0: It was the best. I don't even yeah. I don't even know Were we officially
2: no, we weren't dating? dating. We were just friends we were dating. then. Yeah, we were just I was I just liked you.
1: Was this like 2009 somewhere around there? Maybe 2008. I think it was before that. 2009
2: is the is skate tour and it was before that mm-hmm. cuz we were already we were already we already liked each other. It, was, it
0: might have been, I don't know. It had to have been 2009. Actually, well, I found
2: out that Claire had never owned a metal spring-loaded Voltron, and that, right. that just didn't make any sense to me because that was the way I was introduced to it. Before I even knew the cartoon, I'd been traveling to New York and saw the five-pack, the gold, the gold uh, sticker. Right. I, 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 you know, when you see multi-packs of things, it's always really exciting because it's a, it's a bargain, but. When I found out that the whole thing fit together, I almost lost my mind. <laughs> so, you know, it was, the thing, it was like 50 bucks um, and all made of metal and in Chinatown and no English on the package. And I begged my mom to buy it for me. And at, you know, eight years old, she's like, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But I convinced five other, uh, four other kids in my school to chip in on it. And we all pooled our uh, birthday money together. And then we each got custody of a lion and then came to school together and formed Voltron.
0: Wow. I mean, that's so amazing. And
2: because because I had done all the legwork, I got to be the black lion. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) So I found out that Claire never owned that one and it made me crazy. So I tracked it down um, and got it for
1: her. Wow. And how long did it take to get it from Japan?
2: Oh, it was just, I mean, we live in an internet age, so it was less than two weeks. Wow, yeah, wow. and it was good because if you you know, there's only a couple of vendors that have it that have it boxed that have it with the stickers that you know have a staple through all the plastics. Mm-hmm.
1: There's only a couple of vendors, so. <laughs> well, did you guys get the the latest Toinami 30th anniversary Voltron?
0: We did not. We
1: did not, but we did
2: get that Maddie collector, um, the Super Builder, the like 25 inch. Yeah,
0: that
1: yeah. was amazing. Yeah, Toinami's coming out with another 25 inch Super. Voltron. This one is the one with the shooting fists and the wheels. What? Oh, well. wow. That's yeah. A... It's, it's coming out for pre-order in December and it'll be available in March. Wow. That so, is very really exciting. So that's a big one too. That's exciting.
2: Well, we've got a, uh, we've got that, that Voltron uh, next to the uh, Mazinga and Goldorak.
1: Oh, nice. Nice. You guys got a, a, a pretty good uh, Super Sentai collection. We I do. mean, we've only got a couple of for real jumbo Machinders. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh let, let's talk a little bit about the uh the robot chicken sketches that you did for Voltron. Is that okay? Sure. All right, because there's there's actually Voltron fans out there who have said to me, if you guys ever ever interview Seth and Claire, you gotta you gotta talk about those two sketches that they did. So the sketches that you're talking about is the, the, the Lion Force one. Um, with the dance off yeah and then the other one was the vehicle voltron ones where it took so long for them to come together that they didn't save the day at all in fact uh, think- the guy that wanted to get rescued actually shot himself burned <laughs> burn to death
2: yeah so the uh bo- both of those predate claire the the dance off one is uh a really important one in a lot of ways um it was the first time that we realized what the the capability of animation was it was the first time we realized that we could make things dance that it was the first time we realized we could write a song and and that that was something that was uh, opened to us and it opened a huge door on robot chicken that has resulted in countless
1: singing and dancing things. wow i i didn't realize it had that much impact
2: yeah, it was well it was it was seminal. It like taught us a lot about how to communicate with animators and how to research and what was what was possible. So I always look at that as a really important one. It's kind of one of my favorite sketches, okay. also because I love the idea of Voltron shit through breakdancing. Um and then the vehicle Voltron one, I think that was like third season, I think. <laughs> third or fourth season, maybe. And we just thought it was really funny because you know, in in anime The transformation sequence is usually incredibly extended. And if you're watching the new Sailor Moon Crystal, you'll see just how (laughs) insanely um, time-consuming all these transformations are.
0: You're the best part of the show. I live for those transformation sequences.
2: (laughs) So we just thought exploiting that would be really funny. and, And it was. It's really funny. And, and obviously, that's not meant to happen. In real I laugh time. out
0: loud every single time I think about that vehicle full <laughs> transformation sketch well, you did. It's because so the,
2: the music keeps going <laughs> the, the repeat, same every that time. Is, that
0: is exactly why. Over that's and what over I and hear. over. And then they keep having to reform. They're
2: like,
1: "Oh, we missed a step." Uh huh. <laughs> now, the the thing about it is, they showed all fifteen of the, of the pilots looking at the screen. You know, when <laughs> they were getting called to action. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's silly. Like they they had to know it was silly. At some point, the excess of it is what makes it funny.
1: How did you guys get all 15 of those pilots? Because none of those figures had ever been you know fully done. So you had to create your own figures, right? Did they ever make figures of the pilots? Not of, not of the vehicle Voltron ones, because they were planning in 1986, Panache Place was planning on doing a second wave of, of characters, and three of them were going to be the captains of each team. Wow. And it just never happened fascists so these vehicle voltron fans are are still waiting for all the pilots all all 10 of those fans <laughs> oh, <yeah>. well <laughs> i i gotta tell you all those fans are 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 singing loud and clear when when we hear things about being hey, i know i
2: know cut to i suddenly get a ton of hate mail about uh like hating on vehicle voltron it should be said i find vehicle voltron very attractive
1: yeah yeah, a lot of people liked the look of Vehicle Voltron. It just uh, it was it was too hard to keep up with all those characters. So we also wanted to talk a little bit about Twitter. You guys had had uh, you know posted a, a little note about uh, being on this podcast and everything, and then all of a sudden Twitter blew up, and oh, we've good. never had so much in our Twitter feed all at one moment.
2: Wow! You should interview Kim Kardashian's ass.
1: <laughs>
0: Stop it! Oh my god. <laughs>
1: Oh, that would be a fun interview.
0: <laughs> it it would just be it would just sound yeah like that uh, Nicki Minaj video that's been dubbed with only fart sounds. The Anaconda video. Have you seen that that video? It's
1: really? The internet I, I haven't seen it.
0: Oh my goodness! You should watch that video. It's, there was a it's a parody of the Anaconda video, it just but it replaces
2: it's, all of the sound with real world. <laughs> Big fart sounds. Yeah, from um, every
0: single because she's she's it's like just all booty shaking. Oh, it's so It's, good. Good. it's, it's so, so funny. Like,
2: all all the video is is just you know close up ass shots and girls bouncing their asses. So it supplemented all the music
1: <laughs> for Ooh, big fart, fart sounds. sounds. It's really,
2: it's really juvenile but hilarious.
1: Wow. All right. Well, I I got to get to to these fan questions because okay. all of a sudden it just blew up and we we got to get some of those people a chance. So, uh, all the way from over in Australia, we have uh, the Keith and Allura uh, Twitter feed. They said, if you were given a chance to produce or write a Voltron episode, what would it entail or include?
2: You know, I'd probably do something really simple. And I know it sounds silly, but they might not even form Voltron. (laughs) And that's not true. I'd have to do something where they just form Voltron and, like, cut through a planet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've actually defeated Robes without forming Voltron. Before. No, 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 and
2: I and I'd love to be the guy that delivers something really, um, uh, you know, introspective and uh, uh, philosophical. But at the same time, I think if I was going to get one shot at doing a Voltron thing, they'd have to form the Blazers. You know what? If I
0: thought, if I had one shot at doing a Voltron thing, I would. Okay, because the 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 most recent Voltron cartoon that only had a couple of seasons. I really what I really loved about that was how they explored the Voltron mythology and and the magic and the science behind it in in ways that I had never really seen before. So that that really excited me. I would probably do something like that where you where they would learn something more like detailed about world. the origin of their power and how they're all connected to it.
1: Oh, that would be interesting.
0: I know, right? I mean... Yeah. I mean, there's
1: a lot of people that want to go, you know, back and see how this all started. They want to see if Voltron was actually sentient, you know, like they had said, and that when, you know, uh, when Hagar had uh, pretended to be the goddess of the universe and had, you know, placed a curse on Voltron, was trying to kill Voltron, but actually only was able to split him up into five different lions. So they wanted to know what Voltron was like before that.
0: Oh, that would be really cool, too. Well, maybe a memory flashback, something or other. Yeah. I mean, I would really take advantage. I would really take advantage of answering things that I personally want to know about the mythology of Voltron and somehow connecting it to present day Voltron that would enable a starting point for, or a jumping point for moving forward in the Voltron universe.
2: You know, if you're going to do it in movies, you'd probably have to start with something that's like relatively present day as far, not present day, our world, but present day in the the scope of Voltron. And you'd be able to, in the, I I just think Marvel's done a great job of unifying their universe, like making all of their properties connect to each other the way that their comics did. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Voltron is as lush and dense a a universe. It'd be really easy to spin off all different intellectual properties from it. You know, Mm -hmm. TV shows, a, a mini series. If you look at, agents of shield or uh, agent carter uh, agent carter just an eight episode miniseries it's like here's all the stuff that happened after captain america but before avengers right i mean that's like a backflash. yeah oh you know it's taken years to do it and i think everyone's in a rush to replicate (laughs) it and people aren't exactly thinking through how carefully plotted and and patient this plan was from iron man forward if you look at the steps they've taken to get to the point where there's this many things, people only now sort of step back and say, oh, wow, it looks so well architected. You know, but if you if you look at the way, well, I guess I, I kind of like what X-Men's doing. I just wish they weren't at a, at a separate studio. I really enjoyed Days of Future Past. I just wish that we could have a crossover, you know?
1: Okay. So a we'll, we'll crossover with who? With the Avengers. Oh, Okay. Yeah, right, I can see that. The X-Men
2: that. and the Avengers should exist in the same universe. And Spider-Man. That's, well, Spider-Man's a whole I wanna... different – I desperately want a Secret Wars movie, but Secret with Wars. Spider-Man and the X-Men and all of the other Marvel characters in separate universes, that will never happen. Right. Unless they all realize how huge the financial opportunity is for both studios and they could get around sharing the wealth of it and then they could collaborate. Right. The... So you, then you could see a Hugh Jackman Wolverine – Alongside a issues, talk about. A, um, issues. <laughs> talk about <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you like to see Hugh Jackman Wolverine with Andrew Garfield Spider Man? Yes, and uh, uh, the present day Avengers like Robert Downey Jr. or Iron Man. Okay, except a Miles Teller Reed Richards, if that movie's any good.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, let me get to another question by another uh, Twitter fan. They want to know if uh, if you're going to be attending Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim. Yeah. You are? Yeah. Well, we don't have
2: any events or anything planned. Okay. But we, we may just show up as fans. Oh, yeah,
0: we can't miss that. Actually, I already know that I'm going to be cosplaying with a bunch of girls um as different Star Wars characters oh, you've in, play lots in Playboy bunny car- uh, suits and I'm going to do a lottrozy one. We From all the Clone did Wars? Yeah, we all did um Star Trek bunnies at Comic-Con this year like
1: Twelve of us. It was so much fun. And which bunny were you?
0: I was a blue one.
1: Any any relation to a Star Trek character?
0: No, nope, no specific character. We were all just different colored Star Trek bunnies.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, Danny Girl wants to know, what's your favorite and most memorable Voltron episode? And it could be from any series.
0: Mine's the crossover episode.
1: The Fleet of Doom? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Seth? I don't know. I don't think I can pick a specific thing. Actually, well, and then
0: also in the beginning when, when Sven dies, I always remember that because it confused me when I was a kid, you know?
2: Okay. I was excited they made a Sven figure <laughs> in this last round, of the Maddie Collector stuff. All
1: right. So we get some strange questions from, from people all over the place. Like, uh, have you ever seen a UFO or had some kind of alien encounter?
0: Nope. Not me. <laughs>
2: You know, Twitter is really just a modern-day CB radio, and everyone is sort of talking into it, making sure that they exist. What are
0: the other weird ones?
1: What would you do to get the attention of a tough girl?
0: Oh.
2: Well, listen, man. Treat her like like a girl. If somebody's not interested in you as you, then you really don't need to spend time trying to make yourself more interesting to them.
1: All right. They also want to know, is there ever going to be a live Voltron Movie, a la Transformers. Neither one. Oh, of that's are... my
0: decision to make, everybody. Absolutely, and yes. I say yes. Yes, as the as the
2: holder of the rights and all of the abilities <laughs> to produce the feature film, as the as the
1: key decision holders <laughs> in the in the issue, we say yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Along those same lines, if if you could choose your director for your Voltron film, who would you choose? Uh, somebody, whoever. Loves it the most,
0: understands it the most, and will treat it seriously, and not like it's just a a cartoon. Give it the right take,
2: because you know somebody like Edgar Wright, who actually likes Voltron, who's a great filmmaker. He would do it with a particular. Oh, he could do it. I would. I would be
0: okay with the way he does it. If, you know, if if he wanted to make it cartoon style, I'd be okay if he did it. But everyone else would have to treat it seriously. But I
2: don't even think he would do it cartoony. I just think he would have a sense of humor. But, you know, you could get anybody from David Fincher to Sam Mendes to make a Voltron movie if they they understood it.
1: Okay. Do you think they have to be somebody who grew up with Voltron back in 84? No. No.
2: They just have to, like, respect and appreciate
1: what it's actually about. Okay. And... Is it okay if it's if it's a story that, that follows either present day or in the future?
0: Yeah, man. It just has to be a good story.
1: You know, we talk about
2: um, remakes all the time, and my biggest concern about remakes is that they maintain the spirit of the original. Because that's all we're really doing. You know, we're we're passing down this mythology the same way that people pass down Shakespeare or or Greek mythology or whatever lessons or stories. You want to pass down generationally. We're passing down things like Voltron and Batman. And so as long as they give this new generation the same opportunity to connect with the characters, to connect with the IP, that's, that's all you really want.
1: Let's say uh, in the future, all right, uh, Voltron Force is older. Okay. And then how would you handle, you know, them passing it down to a new generation?
2: Are you asking us to write this movie? <laughs> no, <laughs> no I'm saying... I mean, hey, listen, there's a million different ways to do it. You can do it with something as simple as a new generation, something as simple as a, a death in the team. A,
0: yeah, there's and, a million and ways what's to the other back. information? Is Voltron Stop still the active defender of, like, <laughs> of the universe? Or has Voltron we, been grounded? Listen,
2: at some point, Claire or I may be pitching. <laughs> our, oh, really? Our ideas will be our only <laughs> trade. So wow. don't, don't ask us to give them away <laughs> to anybody else who could step in.
1: <laughs> uh, we had uh this isn't this isn't a secret but we had talked to one of the original writers of ultron mark handler mm-hmm. and he is now working over in shanghai in china and he's working on new projects over there but he had actually told us what his pitch would be uh, for a Voltron movie all right so he was saying that it was sort of present day where it was on earth and, you know, you get the, the people being able to relate to Earth-related stuff. Right. And then what happened was, you know, we had won. We had won the war with the Drools, okay? And now uh, Lotor was going to have to, you know, comply, and he was also sort of like an ambassador for Planet Doom. And so now Alora being the queen of Aris and Lotor, the the, the king of, of doom, they sort of had to work together now. Hmm. And those types of things were of course gnawing on Keith, but because he never let his feelings fully known for, for Alora, he just had to, you know, grin and bear it the whole way. And of course all the Voltron force members are doing their own things. Now there's no need for Voltron because there's peace. And then something happens where they need to be brought back together again, and they need to be brought back into the fray right you know and form voltron once more yeah a new enemy and of course they could do flashbacks and stuff like that to you know things that had happened you know even in voltron's origin they could do you know with the voltron force team members when they come back together again
0: i want to see Vol- i want to because you know when you imagine a real life giant voltron robot you don't actually imagine it to be. I mean, there's no way that it could be as bright and colorful as the cartoons. So
2: I think it could. You look at Iron Man; that red and gold is so saying, shiny. You look at the the Avengers, and uh, uh, Captain America's costume fair. is bright blue and red. You know, Thor, but it's would these metal be able to withstand, colors.
0: or is it magic metal? Is it magic metal? Can it's, it withstand? I think it's just the paint
2: job. You know what I mean? This is <laughs> <just> an enchanted <laughs> item. This is this is something that that is held together by spells. So, I don't know. Right? I, I think you, so can, you can. I think you with, can do it any way you want. I think there's we uh, the the films that have worked have proven that there's a way to do it right. And the you know if you're if you're talking about. Um, the first Iron Man or Halle Berry's Catwoman. There's a way to do it right and a way
1: to do it wrong. You know, right. And I, and I think here's the, here's the thing. My my son has mentioned this before because he's a, a big Voltron fan and he and he loves Star Wars and lightsabers and all that as well. Uh, he says if you could take any character and add a sword to him, it automatically makes him cooler.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look Voltron at Michonne on Walking Dead. She's the coolest character on that show still, and it's because she walks around with a sword. I
2: think That's right. Daryl uh, enthusiasts would disagree, but <laughs> <laughs> but Voltron's got the OG sword. He's got the Blazing Sword. It comes from nowhere and cuts through anything. It's, you know,
1: it's hard to argue. Okay, well, you know, we're coming up close here to the end here, and I just wanted to give you guys a chance to say something to the Voltron fans because it's the first time that we're we're you know able to broadcast whatever you say, whatever you want to say about Voltron, to the rest of the world. we're We're viewed in over seventy two countries. So Honestly. what would you say to the Voltron fans right now?
0: Hello, and I'm so happy that we're all super fans together.
1: <laughs>
2: um, hello. Yay, Voltron. Um, (laughs) And just bear in mind that we are the Templar Knights of this mythology. And so be sure to actually live your life the way Voltron has taught you to. That teamwork is everything and you can solve all your greatest problems by working together.
1: Great. Great. That's awesome. I I think some of the best times that I've ever had is when Voltron fans came together and Partied together, basically. Oh, that's fun. So I want to thank you guys for for the support that you gave me on the book when I was uh, asking for questions for the book and then also your contributions to the book.
0: Oh, for and, sure.
1: And then for the interviews that you gave me before, Claire, and for this interview, I really want to thank you guys for, for joining us on Let's Voltron, the official Voltron podcast. Yay, Voltron!
0: Yay, Voltron!
1: And I look forward to everything that you guys do in the future, obviously. I'm awesome. I'm watching it. And just so you know, I'll also be uh, writing up a story on Toon Barn. Uh, we're, we're talking about your Robot Chicken Christmas episode coming up this Sunday, right? Oh, cool. December 7th? I, yes, I believe so. And at the same time, I'll be offering, you know, a review of the uh, uh, Robot Chicken Christmas episode, DVD that recently came out.
2: Oh, yeah, the Collected.
1: Yes. Right on. So, anything else you guys want to pitch real quick or plug? Ah. Uh your mom (laughs) (laughs) wildly inappropriate I'm sorry I can't help myself
2: (laughs) oh Um, uh, what else are we doing on the turtles the turtles is on now
0: yes Seth gets to voice Leonardo on the turtle show Nickelodeon which is really cool and and, like a lifetime fantasy of mine so (laughs) high five to me
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right cartoon I'm super excited about that okay great well Thanks once again for joining us on Let's Voltron, and we'll see you all next time on...
2: Let's Voltron!
1: Let's Voltron!